Somebody called me a pan-Baptist. <laughs> well, hey, I, no, no, that's a great word because I, when people ask me who Warden Way is, I say we're a pan-Baptist publication. Oh, perfect. And then people are like, what do you mean by that? So, <laughs> you know, there we go. It's a good, it's a good phrase. Yeah. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Warden Way. I'm your host, Warden Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Trisha Miller-Mannerin. She serves in a number of different roles, and she'll be talking about those in the interview, but that include as executive coordinator for the Mid-Atlantic Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, She's also at the John Leland Center for Theological Studies. Until recently, she was at the Baptist World Alliance. And she's going to be talking about each of these different roles and ministry. And it's, it's a really fun conversation. And I'm excited that I had a chance to sit down with Trisha. We were actually in her office at the BWA as she was packing it up. It was mostly packed up. So while we, while we had the interview at the beginning of this month, she was still working for the BWA. She has since transitioned out of that role. And she'll be talking about some of the really important work that she did while she was there. We were there for the annual gathering of the North American Baptist Fellowship, which this year was meeting there at the BWA offices in Falls Church, Virginia. And over the last several years, I've gotten to know Trisha at NABF and BWA meetings. And so I've really enjoyed conversations with her in the past, but glad that we could get her down on the record, on the mic for this conversation here. So here's my interview with Trisha Miller-Mannerin of the Mid-Atlantic Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Trisha, first, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me, Brian. Now, you wear a, a number of hats, and we're going to kind of unpack those and talk about those. We'll, we'll probably spend a little bit more time talking about the hat you've been wearing for the last few years with the Baptist World Alliance. So why don't we talk about your other main hat first? Okay. And so how would you introduce yourself? Who are you? What are all these different roles <laughs> that you have been involved in? Sure. So I am the executive coordinator for the Mid-Atlantic Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Currently, I am the coordinator for the Division on Mission, Evangelism, and Justice at the BWA. I'm the director of supervised ministry at the John Leland Center, which is a seminary here in Arlington, Virginia. And I've just put on a new hat as the interim pastor of worship and choir director at Fairfax Baptist Church. Does that all, all that fit on a business card? <laughs> sure. And, and I'm a mom like four and I'm a wife. Cards, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I do have two business cards, yes. <laughs> And too many email addresses. <laughs> All right. So the Mid-Atlantic Cooperative Baptist. So who is that? Where is that sure. regionally situated? So basically between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, but that includes Northern Virginia, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland. We've got folks in South Central Pennsylvania who are involved with us. A lot of that's because of proximity. And technically, Delaware is part of us. But truth be told, we don't have churches right now in, in Delaware who are connected with us. You know, that's that's outside of the traditional CBF strongholds, right? 
birthed out of the South as a denomination. And so you are definitely ministering in a context that's very different from, let's say, the average or the median CBF congregation. And so what's what's ministry like in your region? Sure. Well, as a native Pennsylvanian who went to university in the deep South, but went to seminary outside of Philly, this context is pretty comfortable for me. We are already involved in post-Christendom much farther along in that process than I would say my friends in the deep South are. And so we tend to be more multicultural. A lot of our churches, though not all, are not monoculture, are not monotheologically kind of, if that's a word, slanted. We have in, in MACBF, we have one university church, but we don't you know, we, we tend to be smaller churches. Baptists are not big players. The truth is in this region, besides Roman Catholicism in Baltimore, there is not one predominant expression of Christianity. And in my county, which is Fairfax County, there are more Muslims than there are Baptists. So that sets a really different cultural construct for the church. And also the expectation of what it means to be Baptist. Is, is different. It's just a different culture. And since we're not major players societally, that doesn't mean we're not impacting the culture, but it's just a different, different experience, which I find really refreshing and exciting and freeing because there's not that expectation of what it means to be Baptist or even a CBF Baptist. Most of our churches wouldn't, they're just Baptist and they may be aligned with multiple groups, as in American, National, PNBC, Lot Carey, you know, even Southern Baptist. So, and a lot of our churches then become de facto independent churches, not the same as a fundamentalist kind of independent Baptist, but. Yeah, you mentioned the, these kind of dual alignments or tri-alignments or quad alignments with, with the churches, and, and you kind of hinted at your own background, which does also show a bit of this diversity you went to Samford University and Eastern yeah. Seminary, and then Wesley. Wesley, yes, uh, uh, Seminary. So you've had, you know, three, two different Baptists and three different denominational contexts in your own education. I wonder how that's impacted your ministry, your your understanding of ministry. Yeah. Somebody called me a pan Baptist. <laughs> well, hey, I, no, no, that's a great word because I, when people ask me who Warden Way is, I say we're a pan Baptist publication. Oh, perfect. And then people are like, "What do you mean by that?" So I'm, you know, there we go. It's a good, it's a good phrase. Yeah. So 1997, I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So all of those pieces are important to that story. And then in the fall of, I believe it was 2018, I had my credentials recognized by the American Baptist Churches. For me, that's the only way to exist. I also served a United Methodist Church in Indiana for six years. So ecumenism, having grown up a Baptist in Pennsylvania, a Southern Baptist at that, that wasn't essential. I mean, yes, I I believe in the marrow of my bones, I understand my Christian faith as a Baptist, but I don't believe you have to be a Baptist to be Christian. And so ecumenism is a really important part for me of that story of engaging with the larger Christian family, with brothers and sisters of a variety of um, Christian heritage. And I think that's really helpful in an area where for the church to be relevant, the church has to be united. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We happen 
Some of us happen to be Baptist. Some of us happen to be Catholic. Some of us happen to be Methodist, UCC, what, what have you. And I think that's in our cultural context, that's just essential for being light and salt in a world that needs light and salt. It does seem like the outside the Bible belt, the force to have this understanding seems to be a very healthy understanding of working across these denominational lines of what it means to, you know, Baptists historically through history were a minority and in most places of the world are very much a minority. It's been a, a big part of a historic Baptist identity. Sure. And so you serve in a region where that is still very much part of the DNA of, of Baptists. Sure. I think if, if someone were to start listing denominations, I'm not so sure Baptists would be first on the list unless we were already a group of Baptists. What, what is it that you do in your role then? So we've talked about the region, sure. Uh, but as you're here, what is it? What's your job in this part-time position that you've had <laughs> over this entire region? Sure. In many ways, I came on to this position. I came first as an interim, and they said, "Could you do this for six months?" And I said, "Well, I love this region. Let Let's see what God leads us to do." And it was, in many ways, a blank slate. Clergy would get together about every other month to have a meal, and there was an annual meeting. Now, that doesn't mean that's always been the history of MACBF, but that's what I had inherited at that time. And listening to the needs of people and trying to engage and also understanding my own gifts, uh, began to realize that really what I do as the executive coordinators, I pastor pastors, fervently pastor pastors, and then I engage and equip congregations as I'm invited. We, we do have some interesting missional engagement in listening to pastors, we realized that many of them felt ill-equipped for themselves and for their congregations to minister to and with strangers, whether they were immigrants, refugees, victims of human trafficking. So as, as a, an organization, we created what we call a resource of action, which it starts with a Bible study written by Daniel Caro, who is a professor at our partner school, the John Leland Center, and then gets into some work for the congregation. We call it a resource of action because we believe that every community has resources that churches often don't know about. And so the resource of action is created to engage congregations more deeply in what already exists and then create what they might have new. I wish I could say tons of churches have have used this resource. It was also important to me that we have a global connection. And I was fortunate to live with my family in Uganda. My husband works with the State Department. And so while we lived in Uganda, a new ministry from CBF field personnel began. I happened to have known them because when I was an SBC journeyman, the husband of this couple was in my class, but they were also Sanford students. And she had been an MK in Zambia when I was a summer missionary. So really interesting dynamic, but we were all in Uganda together and they began this ministry there with refugees and it's called Refuge and Hope. And prayerfully with my coordinating council with MACDF began to say, well, we've got a perfect opportunity here. How can we connect? These people do are engaging with the same sort of people group as we are at a very different place in a very different way, in ways that we will never do because we're not a ministry center. But I think that those churches who have been involved with MACBF would be able to tell you, yeah, we have a partnership with Refuge and Hope in Kampala, Uganda, and they minister to refugees. We've taken two trips 
We're a small group that doesn't have a whole lot of money, but we have hosted, I believe it's been three obstacle courses where people of all ages come and enter into these obstacles from bouncy houses to climbing under fake spider webs to carrying eggs and being carried as injured people to be uh, having water balloons thrown at them as obstacles. And, and at every stop, there's a message about what refugees have to go through. And so we've been able to raise, again, for our small little group, usually over $1,000 at each of those, which for us is is quite a bit of money to be able to share then with Refuge and Hope. So it's pretty neat to have the local context connected to the global context. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of times, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about this as well with the John Leland Center. For those that aren't familiar with it, what is this group? Sure. So it is a seminary, a very diverse faculty. The full-time faculty, we're small. The full-time faculty, one is Russian, one is Ghanaian, one is from Argentina. We have an Estonian who's now part-time. The academic dean, who is also part-time, is Korean Presbyterian, American Korean Presbyterian. And it is a very fluid experience. It's it's not institutionalized, but it is an institution, of course, fully accredited by ATS with a vision to transform leaders, not just clergy, but leaders for the church. And I think it's a pretty neat experiment that's, that's equipped many a person in our area um, from a diverse background. And I have the privilege of working with students as they're finishing up their, their studies, often in, in supervised ministry. You've mentioned a lot about connecting with the global and both of those roles. And that's also something that you have done. Now, as we're recording this interview, you are still with the Baptist World Alliance. And by the time it airs in just a couple of weeks, you will be gone. Their office is like half packed up or more. We're sitting in it right now. And so why don't you you tell us what you have been doing, the importance of that role in the, the global Baptist community the last couple of years? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty exciting For me as a Baptist, as you've heard about my kind of pan identity, the centering identity piece for me since seminary days has been the BWA. I understand myself as a global Baptist when I wasn't sure where my identity sat, as you can hear, um, even for my husband and I both um, to say, yeah, well, we're BWA Baptist. And so when Neville Callum, the General Secretary Emeritus, invited me into this position, it was pretty exciting. Of course, the portfolio is too big for a two-day-a-week job. It's actually too big for five days a week. And and Neville completely understood that. Thank you, Dr. Callum. But it's been a real gift in these three years to serve on the staff, to work with 16 commissions that do incredible work from ecumenical work to historical work to um, engagement with with freedom of religion or belief and everything kind of in between to to share in leadership with the commission chairs and the vice chairs on a regular basis to engage with them to hear their stories um, to pray with them and then to see what their commissions produce uh, paper wise or action items or presentations to me, the work of the commissions is, is really kind of the bloodline of the Baptist World Alliance that often kind of gets forgotten in the midst of, I guess the word would be bureaucratic needs. But for those who come to annual m- meetings and don't go to even one commission meeting, I think they're missing out. There's just such a richness in, in what's presented and then in the dialogues that take place as a result of 
of those conversations. In fact, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday who talked of how much she has loved serving on the Commission on Mission and how hearing from people all around the world has transformed her own ministry. And that to me is invaluable, whether it's me sitting in this office or her sitting in a a commission meeting, that's the joy of the Lord, you know, here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's been a big part of what I've done the last three years. Um, I also am the one who receives the grants for the Baptist Fund for World Evangelization and Discipleship. And being able to delve a little deeper with simple grant requests and say, well, I need a little more clarity. They're not big, huge, difficult grant requests. But for some people, this this is a game changer. Unfortunately, I, I haven't ever been able to go and visit any of the sites where the grants have been given. But um from churches in Africa, just needing sound equipment to do evangelistic crusades, to needing to print materials for discipleship, to, to video production, to, to assisting church planters. You know, it's pretty neat. Or, or peace building activities, trainings. And they're very small grants, but that small gift from our global Baptists to individual groups who, who have to be mem- connected to our member bodies. That's pretty neat. And then to hear reports back and get pictures and to hear their thanks. Of course, we don't do work just so we can get pictures or we can hear thanks. We do it because the love of Christ compels us. And that love that compels us also is the one that unites us. So that's really neat. Um, Been able to grant a few mini libraries to places in need of, of books that we may take for granted and to help equip those who are studying. That's really neat. I've been part of two ecumenical bilateral dialogues. So I was able to be part just briefly of the Baptist World Methodist dialogue. And that was very powerful, simply even just to sit in a circle with grand theologians from around the world and to hear them engage one another and respect each other and say, this is the church. We individually are not the church. Even we denominationally are not the church, but collectively we are the church. And then to be part of the Roman Catholic Baptist dialogue has been really amazing. The first time they met, it was at Baylor University, and I had never been to Baylor. And that was eye-opening, having never been to that institution. And then again, to sit in the circle and listen and to be invited into that. And then in December of 2018, we went to Rome. And I will always remember the experience of meeting the Pope and watching him in in a very grand entrance. But every time he saw a child, sorry, he took his hands and he wrapped his hands around their head and he kissed them. And I thought, that is the embodiment of Christ. And if we could all wrap our hands around little children's heads and one another's heads and kiss them with a holy kiss, how much better would our world be? And how much more would the kingdom be of heaven break in here on earth? And then to meet him and to watch him laugh and, and be jovial. But of course, that was really exciting. But so was the conversation and so was the laughter and so was the the time around meals or out in the plazas at the markets and, and the joking that goes on and to see Frank Reese and, and another Catholic priest kind of tussle. I mean, they weren't wrestling, but, but you know, in a plaza. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if, if we could all just 
play like children, love like children, because again, the love of Christ compels us to do so. And I, I suspect if we all in the church in general took as seriously our theology as those theologians who are sitting around those circles, of course, not to the same extent, but if we could take that seriously, Brian, I think, I think the world would come to know Jesus much easier than, than in our divisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And here I am, you know, I'm just a pastor and I got to sit around the table with, with big, big theologians from around the world and call them my sisters and brothers. That's pretty humbling. That's a fascinating part of the BWA work. We just had Curtis Freeman on the program just a few weeks ago, uh, I think episode 91, talking about the Methodist Baptist mm. dialogue and Jerry Bell way back at the beginning of this year, February, was talking about the experience at the Vatican and, and that dialogue with, that is ongoing. We're, right. we're in the third year of the five-year cycle. They'll be meeting in December in Poland, in yes. Warsaw. I was just in Poland oh, in September right. for a couple of weeks and was at the seminary, Baptist seminary, where the group will be meeting right. for that next round of dialogue. And so and these are some of the things that the global Baptists are engaging in and thinking about ways that we live out our witness in the world today. And you mentioned the commissions that stretch a wide variety. You mentioned that, I mean, you know, your portfolio of two day a week is, is, <laughs> is, a, is a big job even for someone a five day a week. And it really is the the key programmatic aspect of these annual gatherings every year in July of each of the commissions with what three different sessions and bringing in a variety of different Baptist voices. It's really the main thing that I write about word and way and used to write about ethics daily from these annual mm -hmm. gatherings is the content that's these presentations there in the commissions. But one of the things I wanted to note about that is it's not just that there are a lot of commissions that you've been helping work with the commission chairs to lead, but they also they stretch the full biblical witness of what it means to be a Christian mm -hmm. from, you know, missions and Christian ethics and theological education to religious freedom and human rights and creation care. And it's, it's a, it's a wide variety discipleship. I mean, all sorts of different topics, which almost seems like too much for one person <laughs> to be, you know, even dealing with all these areas. And yet that's also what we are called mm -hmm as Christians to, to be engaging holistically in all of these different things. I, I think it, while it may seem like a lot and it is the, the scary thing is when we begin to silo those things. And so, Oh, these people do freedom of religion and belief and these people do ethics and these people do evangelism. Well, that's what the commissions are doing, but we as the BWA need to be about all of these things. Um, because there will be some for whom certain things will resonate. There are some for whom like the bilateral dialogues just seem not worth an investment because they're not so action driven, but we need the foundations and we need to be the church. We need the foundations of understanding Christian ethic when we engage evangelism so that we're not, I would say, recklessly engaging in evangelism for sake of numbers which of course we, we know plenty of those kind of sides. Um, but yeah, that, that holistic engagement is, um, well, it's, it's personally what I think it means to be the body of Christ, both individually and collectively. And yeah, it, it, it is a lot to figure out, but once we begin to, to separate out always, then the silos become silos and certain people do this and certain people do that. Again, some people are gifted with certain, gifts 
but that doesn't mean that we as Christians aren't living into more wholeness. I also want to talk about this small little thing you did over the summer in Nassau, the, the Bahamas, before the annual gathering, as if that wasn't enough to keep you busy. You also led the organization of an entire pre-conference before that. And why don't you share about that? Because it was, it, I was joking, it was actually a really big deal and it had a, a lot of people involved, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. So the Baptist International Conference for Theological Education happens about every five or six years. And I began to work on the conference with when Dr. Callum was still the general secretary. And we he gave me a lot of freedom to begin the early stages and then said, well, you know, you need to wait until the new general secretary comes in to make sure this, this is developed and that this is the direction he wants to go. But one thing Neville really instructed me is to, to make sure that it, it's, a, it's a wide breadth of experiences that we're hearing from a number of people. And with the help of many, many people, this was not all by myself, for sure. We were able to offer a conference with over 200 people present. I can't remember how many countries, but we had six plenary sessions where a main presenter wrote a paper. And from many different topics, the, the overall theme was re reimagining, rereading her story in the church. And we had papers from practitioners and from theologians. And every paper was responded to by three other people. And during the conference, not only did we have these papers presented, we had music that was intentionally created and liturgy intentionally created to draw people into the wholeness of what it means to be involved in theological education as theologians, whether it is like I am pastoral theologian, who's not about to compare herself to the theologians who presented these major works of theology, but so that we could cross over and engage many people. One of the papers was on the effect of biblical translation. And I think that that paper will be a paper that will be used again and again and again. I suspect all six will be, but that one in particular is the one I've heard from others, the one that I've said, oh, can I please have that? It's the one I've heard the most about. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it 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 was done by Valérie Duval-Pujol from France, who's a lovely theologian, biblical scholar. She has been part of the most recent Baptist Methodist dialogue. She's a professor at a Catholic institution. She's been a guest lecturer many places, including at Beeson at Sanford University with Dr. Timothy George. And there's been a request for that to be translated. So I'm eager to see what will become of that. We also had opportunities for affinity groups to meet, whether they were denominational leaders, theologians, professors, pastors, laity, to work out some of the, the topics that were presented. And that, I think, was also a good and fruitful time that they some of the groups really came up with some interesting calls to action, hopes, and dreams. And in the end, as the conference ended, I believe that people, many people began to see with new eyes and engage more deeply. I had some women just come to me just overjoyed and thankful. I also had some men come to me and say, 
thank you. you know, I, I needed to hear this. So it was not a conference just for women. And, and there were some real misconceptions that this was a conference on women's ordination, which it was not. Of course, there was certain support for that, though there was an opportunity in a complementarian, for those who don't understand that word, is, is that they're that men and women are created equal, but equal in different ways. And so generally complementarian is the way I understand it would not be supportive of women in ministry. And so there, there was a complementarian who presented and there were some who I would suspect, you know, there's a spectrum of, of how much inclusion do we include for women, both from women and from men. And, but those who were there and those who participated and listened deeply, I believe encountered the Holy spirit afresh and anew. And the artist who was present, she created this beautiful mosaic and a poem to go with it. And the mosaic is of a woman preaching, and she wore a violet tunic in celebration of, she's from the UK, Allie Taylor, and in, in honor of Violet Hedger from the UK, a, a pioneer Baptist clergywoman. I was very thankful to have Kermi Almeida from from Baylor University, help with all of the music. And um, we worked really hard at the liturgy and the music and, and how everything came together. It, it was really, for me, it was a gift to be able to be part of it and to help lead the way. Again, it was certainly not by myself. It was with a whole team. And of course, this, the BWA staff work above and beyond and work hard. We're small but mighty group predominantly of women <laughs> who who work hard and love each other and care for each other deeply. And, and it's kind of a bit of a coda to that, energized by the conference. Then when the annual gathering showed up, also then the BWA passed a resolution dealing with women in ministry, really affirming the calling of women. And it was the first time in what, 30 years that the BWA had had a resolution on this topic. And so it seemed like it really energized a lot of conversations. And I've already heard stories of that resolution sparking some interest in some conversations in some Baptist unions where they have not historically had uh, or affirmed women in ministry. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see how that conversation might continue. Yeah, it makes me think of two things. One is I, I would like to assure everyone I had nothing to do with the resolution. Those who wrote the resolution very intentionally kept me out of writing that resolution. And, and that, I think, was very smart on their part. So that BICTA was not a political means to create a resolution. The, the interesting thing is that the last time a resolution was presented on women in ministry, it was in the Bahamas. I know, right? And that's so, funny. Coincidence, cool. I guess. So. Pretty cool. But the timing, I think, was serendipitous, a work of the spirit, because I have received in the last two years messages from places around the world who historically would not have said, we have women clergy. I believe that it is timely. I would contend that it is way past time, but... But when I would get those messages or I hear from people who attended, said, you know, I'm going to go back with a different perspective. That's got to be the work of God moving in a time and a place that says, finally, folks, we've got more than half the church who's been who's been rejected for fully serving, from fully offering the bread and the cup, from fully preaching the word. And it's pretty exciting to see. Again, it wasn't just that this was a conference and that it just happened to be at this time. I think it was for such a time as this. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for all the things that you have been doing. It's done some really important work and appreciate it. It's been fun to 
get to know you, to serve on a committee with you in the BWA and to see you at these gatherings. And thanks for spending the time to, to talk about this and to, to share a bit of your story. Thanks, Brian. It's been great to get to know you and to banter back and forth some and to be able to confide in you at times and to call you my friend. So blessings to you and thank you. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Mid-Atlantic Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at macbf.net. You can learn more about the John Leland Center for Theological Studies at leland.edu. You can learn more about the Baptist World Alliance at bwanet.org. And you can learn more about the North American Baptist Fellowship at nabfellowship.org. As always, you'll find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you have enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook. Head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform to write a positive review. It really will help more people to find the show. You can also find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help the production of this podcast as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of our magazine, if you don't get it, you're really missing out on Baptist news across the continuum. So there at wordandway.org, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button. If you have any comments or feedback about the show, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.